This, this is a unique lesson. If you're joining us online, we just had just a wonderful move in operation of the sweet presence of the Lord. And uh, I'm going to piggyback off of that. So if you're listening online and you missed the first part, there were some things that were said about radiating Jesus Christ and not just looking the part, but, but radiating something from the inside out. It's, uh, this lesson's unique because it's the only one that I did not initially write in this series. I wrote this series, uh, Now What?, a discipleship course, on, a, a series on growing with God. And there was 15 lessons, and then this 16th lesson was born uh, just out of life. <laughs> I just assumed that I have, you know, what I've labeled tonight as internal holiness or the fruit of God's spirit. I just assumed it's something we're all aiming for as Christians. So I focused more on things that maybe some people didn't understand. So I wanted to do some in-depth teaching on those things. For instance, throughout the next few weeks after tonight, we'll be looking at external elements of holiness. A lot of people say that that doesn't matter. Uh, They're wrong. The Bible discusses it. We'll discuss it. Um, But... Then I pastored a few years and realized that some people have actually put more emphasis on externals than they did on having a right spirit. And I've literally had people come up and talk to me about hair length, hair color, apparel, while having a judgmental attitude. And certainly this is not God's definition of holy. It's all right to say amen. If we're not careful, we can view holiness as something that is only external. I emphasize only because, again, I don't want you to misquote me. Uh, this podcast is around the world. and Don't say that I'm charismatic and leaving the UPC and going liberal. I, I still cling to external holiness. People sometimes label that as standards. I uh, don't really like that very much. It's not even a biblical term, but external holiness. Holiness is from the inside out. I, can, I like that. External holiness should be the result of what is inside, something that's born out of our relationship with God. Otherwise, if you dress a certain way and don't even know why you do it, your attitude will become bitter and ugly. And that's not holiness at all. If I'm going to do something, I want to understand why I do it and make the choice to do it as unto the Lord. And so sometimes people can get an ugly attitude. And and worse yet, these, these types of people give Pentecost a bad name. People accuse us. You get thrown into this of caring more about the outside than we do about the inside. People try and push you in a corner. What's more important, the outside or the inside? Don't let anybody do that. You say holiness radiates from the inside out. Don't make me choose. They're both important. But I do believe that it should start in the inside and radiate out. And so that's where people will say, well, you're legalistic and you try to govern these. Folks, I am so sorry if you have ever had leadership that has made you feel that way. Because that's not the case. 
We must aim to be holy inside and outside. For instance, a woman could wear her holiness on the outside, and a man could put on a new nice suit and tie and shave his face and, and put on a smile and look holy, but on the inside, in the private life, he's angry, short-tempered, looking at things he shouldn't, saying things that should not come out of his mouth, and he's the furthest thing from holy. So this lesson is desperately needed. Holiness extends way beyond what people see, especially for a man. God tells a man to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Well, I could measure a woman's skirt length, but how do I measure a man not having wrath and doubt? Some things can't be measured. It has to be from the inside as unto the Lord. But the Lord knows and sees all, so... We must have a sweet spirit if we're to achieve true holiness in Christ. There should be evidence of what the Bible calls fruit of his spirit. Meaning if you plant something and it's healthy, fruit comes forth. Well, if the the seed of the Lord, the spirit of God is planted in your heart, like so many of you and so many listen online, if God's spirit has been planted in you, there should be fruit that comes from that healthy relationship. And I, so I'm going to give you a brief look at some of these things because I say brief because I could do a 12-week series just on tonight's content, but I'm not going to try. It's going to be brief. And even your handout is brief because you can add to, if you need a handout, raise your hand, we'll get you one. Um, But even your handout's brief because you can add what you find is pertinent for your life. Um, We obviously don't have all that time, but I want to dive into this. This lesson's internal holiness. And I want to begin by looking for a moment at three things that are cancer to the culture of a church, to your personal walk with God, and to our relationship with each other. See, a lot of times we, you go to churches today, and there's sometimes you'll go to one church that puts just a ton of emphasis on the upward relationship. Me and Jesus. And then you go to another church and they put a ton of emphasis on the sideways relationship between the people in the church. Well, what's more important? They're both very important. I, obviously, I need God. But if you're thinking that you can just have God and you don't need anybody else, you haven't read the Bible. We need God. We need each other. That's why he calls us a body. That's why we're a family. That's why he he commands us to bear each other's burdens, and I'll talk about that. But these three things are things we must guard ourselves against, three things that we have to cut out of our lives. In some cases, God even hates these things. And I'll tell you, I don't want to be a part of anything that God hates. The first is gossip. Why do I cover this? Well, because if we say, I got the outside right, I can come in and look holy. But then I can say, Sister Diana, I'm, not, I'm only telling you this so you can help me pray, but I don't know if you heard about Sister Stacy. Like, rumor has it. And I, I'm not trying to gossip. Somehow I think that we think we're okay that if we clarify our statement with I'm not trying to gossip, that it makes gossip okay which is just ridiculous, but yet you hear people say it. Look what Jesus says to the Pharisees, Matthew 12, 34 through 37. Oh, generation of vipers, 
<laughs> he didn't mince words. How can ye, being evil, speak good things? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your mouth will reveal what's in your heart. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, every idle word that men shall speak, they'll give an account thereof in the day of judgment. My Lord Jesus, please forgive me and help me. Every idle word. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and thy words thou shalt be condemned. This tongue speaks what's in your, in your heart. And James had some important teaching in regard to the tongue in James 1.26. He said, if any man among you seem to be religious. So that's, even that insinuates you can seem to be religious and not really be. You know why a lot of people say they don't come to churches? Because the hypocrites. Well, there's going to be hypocrites everywhere. But our goal is to just cut down on the amount, okay? I feel like we don't have any, but I don't know. I'm sure it probably comes in and out. I don't know. But if anyone seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. If you can't bridle your tongue, your religion is in vain. And I'll just digress. <laughs> I'm going to digress to a couple of things because I'm very passionate about this. Here's why I'm passionate. Because every church has a culture. That's why certain people fit well in one church, don't fit well in another church. There's church culture. I'm passionate about the culture of Refuge Church. I've gotten to the point now, probably in the first couple of years, I just wanted just, just to put everybody in the pew that I could get. Now, you know, I'm not like that. If this isn't the right church for you, there's a lot of other good churches in the area. Go find one. And I say that. We've, we've had people come in and they say, well, I'm looking to try churches. I just recently sent someone a list of churches in the area to go try. Why? Because we might not be what's right for you. There's a culture here. And it's a culture of what I'm teaching tonight. Of humility. Of the fruit of the spirit. Of an openness. Transparency. Uh, uh, love for God and others, worship, and understanding the importance of community, not living life on an island. If you're saying, I don't see these things as important, this might not be the place. I'll tell people that. And I don't mean that. I hope you understand my spirit when I say that. I don't mean that in an arrogant way. But if you, if you get people in pews that don't appreciate or value the culture then that culture can shift into something that is really against the word of God, in my opinion, if that makes any sense. And so um, I'll say this. When he says, if you can't bridle your tongue, your religious in, is, religion is in vain, this includes our social media tongue. See, James, when he wrote this, he talked about a tongue, but there's no doubt in my mind if James is living in 2016, he, uh, he takes this just a little bit deeper. Because they didn't have social media then. They didn't have telephone. They didn't have texting then. But if we're not careful, we can bridle our tongue to someone's face and then jump online and lash out at people. And... Don't take private matters 
Well, this has nothing to do. You have no business saying any of this. Yes, because it is a reflection, not just on your church, but it's a reflection on you and your walk with God. When I see someone lashing out on social media, and by the way, if you've done this in the last 24 hours, this is not directed at anybody. If you feel that, it's just the conviction of the Holy Ghost. This is not Chances are, if you get 100 people in a place and you talk about foolish posts on social media, someone in the audience has done it. So I've done it. Not in the last 24 hours, thankfully. But don't take private matters and deal with them in a public forum. It's not God's way, and it's not the way we want to do things at Refuge. Either let it go or go to that person and talk to that person. Hey, I got an issue, man. Can we sit down and talk? Something bothered me that you said or that you did. But to go and to call the person out, or worse yet, to put a riddle. I just hate when people do this, and like everybody knows who you're talking about. But I didn't say your name. This is not of God. It's not wise. It's a reflection. You see, you know what it is? It's tail-bearing and gossip. It's taking an issue to a public setting to people who are not part of the problem. They're not part of the solution. And I'm bringing them into dramatic elements of my life in which they don't belong. Gossiping. And you know what? These tail-bearing and gossip, these are Satan's primary tools from destroying a church from within. Gossiping will destroy confidence in people, harms the innocent, hinders the repentant, splits churches, discourages saints, disillusions new converts, and makes you look bad personally. That's a pretty good list. Because remember this, though. Whoever gossips to you is going to gossip about you. So when somebody starts saying, I'm just, I mean, I don't usually, I'm not trying to gossip, but... I'm going, mayday, mayday, don't trust that person. Proverbs 6, 26, 17, New Living Translation, interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ears. Well, that's just, that's just, that's just great illustration. <laughs> just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and says, oh, I was only joking. Fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers like charcoal or or, or fire lights wood. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. So those rumors, that gossiping is not just in one ear and out the other. If you let someone gossip to you, those morsels are getting into the depth of of your being. I find it interesting when people say, drama just tends to follow me. (laughs) And I have to just bite my tongue out of my mouth as I'm like, and you don't see a problem with that. I want to stay on some of these things longer, but I have a lot of notes. Why? We don't feel like we can see. You know what often happens in churches? The Bible tells us to uplift one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another. You know what happens in churches these days? People don't follow the Bible's command to bear one another's burdens because nobody shares their burdens with each other. 
Why? Because we don't feel like we can trust our personal struggles and information with somebody in fear that it might be repeated or discussed in private with someone else. That should not be the case. If it is, then we should change our church name because it's not refuge. Now, I'm saying this, and, and, and I hope I don't come off like I'm angry because I'm not dealing with anything. Like, nothing's come to me about someone's post, and like, I'm, not, I'm not angry at all. But I think I get angry just at the concept of that potentially happening in churches because it can destroy someone's life. And so we've got to get to the place where I'm the one willing to take a chance to trust someone, and I'm also the person that someone can trust. Proverbs 6, 16, these six things the Lord hates. My ears tune in when I hear that. Seven are an abomination. A proud look. A lying tongue. We're about to go to pride. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked, wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift to run into running into mischief. A false witness that spreadeth lies. He that soweth discord among the brethren. When you gossip, when you say something to someone that's not part of the problem or the solution, you are sowing something into the morsels, into, the, into their heart. So when you start saying, well, I'm just here to tell you about this person and that person, if you're listening, you're letting things being sowed into your heart that you can try nicely say, oh, well, hey, I'm going to spin this to a positive. If they keep going, then I might need to get a little bit more up front and say, hey, do me a favor. Have you spoken to this person? I mean, you hated pastor's message that bad on Sunday. Have you told him? Don't tell me. Go tell him. Right? Which Sunday was encouraging. So if you hate that one, I mean, come on. But notice, he didn't just say he that's so He started a proud look. That's the second thing, pride. Pride's a sin. Do you know repentance and humility go hand in hand? You're not going to find a person coming to an altar repenting very much if they are a prideful person because it's, it's, it's really near impossible to truly repent and hold on to pride at the same time. Because repentance requires me to say, God, I'm broken. I've messed up. I've sinned against you. I'm living incorrectly right now. Please forgive me. And you know what? Sometimes the people that will not ask forgiveness for someone else to, to someone else, I guarantee that those same people have a hard time asking forgiveness from God. Because it's an issue of pride that I'm not going to go to them and ask forgiveness. I didn't do anything wrong. It don't matter. If you didn't do anything wrong, if you know that someone has ought against you, go to them and say, listen, I know that there's been some tension here. I am sorry if I have done anything to hurt you, wrong you, offend you. That, bit, that keeps the culture of the church. And it protects your own walk with God. And so you know what? If I can't do that to someone else, you're going to find I can't do that with God either. There's a lot of justification oftentimes. But how can Scripture say pride is sin? Well, because when pride in our own selves is there, people don't make or take the time to try and find God and his will for their life. They simply are consumed with their own selves. There's no room for God in their thoughts. And this can also be one of the reasons why we don't allow someone else into our lives. Because, hey, why I don't allow someone to bear my burdens or we're not interested in bearing theirs. Why? Because I have my own life, my own issues, my own problems. You know what? And, 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 and it's the attitude sometimes of, I'm fine. I can do it myself. I don't need anyone's help. What is that? That's pride. 
I can't, I can't do this by myself. I truly believe that I can't make it to heaven just by myself. It's not God's plan. So God, if, 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 if you can, why did God waste pages of his word to command the church to bear one another's burdens so fulfill the law of Christ? And what's interesting is what does the very next verse say? Galatians 6.2, we read, bear one another's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. Look at the very next verse. For a man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing and deceives himself. Bear one another's burdens. And if you think, you, you, you think you're something, you're, you're deceived. He's literally lumping, bearing one another's burdens with pride in the same thought. That's what, uh, like, that's what keeps us from bearing someone else's and, and allowing someone to bear ours. Why? Because I have an image. I have a reputation to protect. What is that? It's pride. It's pride. We've got to get to the place where we can come to someone. And I'm not saying, hey, all right, this Sunday, we each get three minutes to talk about all the things we're struggling with in the microphone. We're going to record it. No. But to find two or three people that you say, you know, brother, I want to talk to you, bro. I need your help. You need to pray for me. I'm going through X, Y, Z. Please keep it confidential, but I need help. But that makes us uncomfortable. Oof. John the Baptist and Jesus preached their harshest, harshest sermons against pride and hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. It's imperative we got to take note of that. Jesus did not preach his harshest sermons against sinners. These messages were at the religious leaders of that day. And then unforgiveness. What is unforgiveness? Sometimes known as bitterness. You know the way it usually starts? Offense. Offense then turns to bitterness and anger. And before you know it, there's hatred. So much, in fact, that I can't go to church with that person. I can't go to the altar. And you know what? That's, it's, it, it destroys you. It destroys churches. Forgiveness is based on love. It involves bearing the cost of someone else's mistakes. It means giving up your own rights in certain, certain situations and ignoring certain things, even when you know you're correct. Anyone ever ask forgiveness from someone that they did wrong and you didn't even do wrong? That's a very, very, difficult thing but it's me saying hey if you want to carry this chain you can't i'm not doing it i ain't gonna do it sometimes forgiving someone can be hard because why because of pride forgiving someone or especially asking someone to forgive you means i have to swallow my pride and humble myself any schmuck can love someone who's good to them and loves them back But can we love someone who's not good to us? Matthew 6, 12 to 15, look, Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's a scary thing to pray. You ever say that? Lord, forgive me my debts just like I forgive other people. You better be confident. 
But that's how he tells us. Leads not into temptation. He goes on verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father forgive you. If you don't forgive them, well, he's not going to forgive you either. I mean, like, that is a scary scripture. And guess what? Every single one of you, me, you, every one of you, every person listening online, you have every one of us have had someone offend us. I mean, is there really anyone in the house, anyone at all, that can literally raise their hand and say, I have never, I've never had anyone hurt me or offend me? Absolutely not. But some of us have processed that and are in a healthy place. And others of you are sitting here right now, and I say this with love, but you're holding on to it, and you're still bitter. And it's, it influences your spirit. How do people know? They don't know. I come to church. I worship God. It's what you radiate. Maybe I can't even explain it, but there's something about your, you have, we're made of body, soul, and spirit. Something about your spirit is emanating the fact that I am angry. I am bitter. And I haven't let this go. Internal holiness. Jesus literally said, we'll forgive the way we forgive others. He says in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. And check this out. Do you know the Bible does not say there are so many different religious denominations? Nobody, well, how do we know we have truth? Because we speak in tongues. Because we baptize in Jesus' name. Because we believe in external holiness. These are things we cling to, and I'm not going to stop clinging to them. But he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I'm calling you to love one another. And look at the next verse. He says, by this shall men know that you're my disciples. It's not by speaking in tongues. Now, that's salvation, everything. Don't, do not get me wrong here. But he's saying the way that the world is going to know that you are a disciple of mine is by how you love one another. I can do a better job of loving one another. I want someone, when they walk in here and say, bro, it was awesome. The worship was powerful. The preaching was, was all right. This music was incredible. But one thing is I felt love when I walked in that place. That's how people will know they've got it. It's Brother Stone King. They've got it. That's holiness. That's witnessing. That's being like Christ. This is why we need the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and this is where I go through this part relatively quickly, and we've done a series on this. I don't know if it's still available online, but the first fruit of the Spirit is listed as love. I referenced earlier that Paul says, hey, you could have speaking tongues of angels and all this stuff. If you don't have love, you're nothing. Well, why? It's just amazing. The Bible's all connected. Jesus says, hey, they're going to know you. By your love. They're going to know you're my disciples by your love one for another. Obviously, Paul heard that message somewhere because he's writing to the church in Corinth talking about love. Love's the most important thing. Now, again, like I say, a lot of churches, all they do is preach love. Well, you know, there's a balance. But we can never get into all the other things 
And miss this. This is why I got re- to read and teach and write this lesson. Because if we get in next week and start talking about all the things people see, that is biblical. But if I can dot all my I's and cross all my T's and, and wear all the right stuff, but yet my spirit is off and I'm prideful and I won't love one another and I won't forgive people and I hold on to bitterness and anger. And as a man, I got anger issues and I'm throwing things and punching things and hitting things. There's a problem with my holiness. Internal holiness. And so Galatians 5, 22 through 25, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, he lists it, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against, there's no, there's, there's no such law, or such as, against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Yeah, because you know what, that, it requires a denial of flesh. The fruit of God's Spirit doesn't come naturally to you. Self-control and gentleness and, and love and joy and peace and meekness. You know, I was just born this way, you know. I mean, I mean, no, that does not happen. That's something we aim to attain. That's something that we need the fruit of the Spirit. We need the Spirit, and then the Spirit operates in our life. So if you think that, well, I just got the Spirit. I spoke in tongues. I thought that was it, man. I got my... I I spoke the tongues. I'm ready for heaven. The spirit was given that that's just the initial evidence you've received God's spirit. The spirit needs to be in operation every single day. And so I need faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I need to be in the word. I need to be praying. I need to be seeking his face, denying flesh. I don't give my flesh every whim and desire that it wants. It's denial flesh, crucifying the flesh, he says. And he says, if, if we crucify the flesh, if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. God gave you his spirit to walk daily in. Can you imagine what a difference would be made in our lives, our families, our churches, our communities, if we would just love one another like he loved us? Indeed, the only thing that will bring the transformation necessary in those areas is the love of God manifested through us. When we grasp the great magnitude of the undeserved love of God in our lives, it becomes the example and the pattern for love in our lives. Because I, if I ever, and people have hurt me, they have hurt me. They have made me angry. They have talked about me in front of me, behind my back. But you know what? I always come to this conclusion. God, there's no chance that they've done more to me than I've done to you. There's no chance. No one that walks planet Earth has hurt me more than I've hurt God. So at the end of the day, I've got to forgive. I've got to pray blessings. And when you start, when you say just, just don't just beg God forgive Begin to pray blessings in their lives. You want to talk about one, like you almost can't get the words out of your mouth. When you're mad and angry and someone's hurt you and you begin to say, God, I pray that you would just bless their lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just lead and guide them to a place of just, of just greatness in you, that you would reveal things to them. And, and, and at first you're going, Lord, just guy, guy down. And, you know, you want to pray, Lord, get them to a place of repentance, God. No, that's not the prayer. God, lead them, guide them. Lord Jesus, 
bring joy to their lives. You begin to pray that, and it starts off hard, but it gets easier. Because ultimately, I want every person to make heaven their home. Every single person. I don't want to be responsible for hindering someone else, and I'm definitely not going to let them hinder me. And so the other thing, we need joy. One of the most misunderstood aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. If you do not have a foundation of love, you'll never experience true joy. So if you try, they kind of build on each other. If you're just like, well, I'm shooting for joy, love, I'll get that later. No, you're never going to have true joy if you don't know how to love. And without real joy, it will almost be impossible to manifest the remaining fruit of the Spirit. What do you think of when you, when you hear joy? I mean, what are some of the things that come to your mind? For some, you know, it might be laughter. A stress-free life, an emotional high, good times. The Chiefs winning. There's a lot of depressed people. Um, but actually, they, they don't define joy at all. In fact, they probably define happiness better than joy. We make the mistake of thinking that if we're happy, we have joy. Joy is an attitude, not a feeling. It's contradictory to profess to have the Holy Ghost and not manifest an attitude of joy. Joy is a fruit of God's Spirit. So if God's Spirit is operating in my life on a daily basis, then I want to have the fruit that shows that. And joy is a byproduct. Joy is a, a direct byproduct of your, the health of your relationship with God in many cases. It's contradictory. So Oliver Wendell Holmes, he said this, and I'll, and I'll pause to say this. Joy is a byproduct of your relationship with God. Now, I am willing, I'm, I'm admitting that there are circumstances where people will have like chemical imbalance. That they're, you know, in the, in, back in the day, our elders would just say, well, you bless God, you just need to pray through. Well, there's truth to the fact that we do need to pray through. But in doing that, we've kind of created something that I think is really unhealthy. And that is just keep it all in. Don't tell anybody what's going on. And it kind of defeats the whole bear one another's burdens thing because sometimes you pray through, leave, and there's still an issue. And sometimes you were raised in such an unhealthy environment that someone patterned something in front of you that was extremely unhealthy, or they didn't invest something in you that was desperately needed. So there's nothing wrong with going to someone and saying, hey, I got, I'm dealing with this. this these are my feelings. And then getting hooked up with a faith-based Christian counselor that says, hey, we're going to take a journey together and look back on some of the things that, hey, what has happened in your life? Tell me about some of the things you've experienced. Now, even, even in Pentecost today, not everybody's okay with this. And I wouldn't just grab a yellow pages and look through a phone book and send someone to some counselor. But when you're with the right person, there are certain, if, why am I feeling these emotions? God gave me these emotions. So if there's a professional who can help me process these emotions 
and look at some of the things that I've experienced. You know what, though? Some of us just say, well, no, no, I just, it's a sign of weakness. I just need to pray. I just need to find an altar. I just need to worship. I just need to do these things. And I'm not saying to stop doing those things. But sometimes it's healthy to do those things and also talk to someone that's going to help you examine some of the things that are really keeping you from what God wants you to be because of being emotionally unhealthy. Hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully that makes sense. But Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. was a member of the U.S. Supreme Court for 30 years, and at one point in his life, Justice Holmes explained his choice of career, and he said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. We make the choice every day whether we will express an attitude of joy or not. And you and you alone are in charge of your attitude. Well, somebody made me feel this way. No, 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 no. No one can make you feel anyway unless you give them permission. Peace. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Some of us need peace in our minds. And that's not derogatory. It's just, hey, we need peace. Although testing and trials will come, God wants his people to live in peace. A true Christian will manifest peace in the relationship with God, themselves, others. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of of fear. So if you find yourself saying, I just feel like I live in fear, you are living outside of God's plan for your life. So again, I need to pause and I need to say, hey, all right, if, if you're experiencing these things, and I'm trying to keep this moving, but this is so important, okay, that, that if you're living, you're saying, hey, I'm feeling a lack of joy. I'm feeling a lack of love. I feel short. I feel like I'm flying off the handle easy. I feel like, you know what, that there's not peace in my mind. I, I, I'm feeling these things. Has anyone ever felt these things, or am I the only heathen in the place tonight? All right, all right. So if you're feeling these things, you can't just, don't just write it off. This is emotional healthy church stuff. You don't just say, well, it's probably a bad day. I'll get over it. I just, need, I just need to pray. I just need to do this. Whatever. If you're experiencing these things on a regular basis, you have to stop and look at your personal spiritual disciplines. And you will find, typically, I know I will, whenever I start to get short or stressed or anxious or whatever, I will look and one of my spiritual disciplines is off. Fasting, daily prayer, even exercise. Just 30 minutes a day of that blood flow. I'm too busy to exercise. That helps the way you process information. Sleep. How much rest are you getting? Well, I go to bed by 11. I only look at Facebook for an hour, and by the time I look at Facebook, there's studies that show, like, screen light, and the way it impacts your brain does not tell you it's time for bed. I'm going to go way out on a limb here. And if you have a television in your bedroom, for the love of God, get it out of your bedroom. And I have not been in your bedrooms 
So I don't know who I'm speaking to. But if that's impacting your sleep, your rest, that will impact your life. Okay? So spiritual disciplines, am I praying? Am I fasting? Am I getting the rest I need? Am I eating well? Am I exercising? Am I doing these things? You will find that these things together, you will find, wow, I'm off on some of these things. Just, just that's a good, good nugget of wisdom that I've learned, and I'm still learning some days. But God hasn't given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God's will for you and me is a sound mind. So if you're struggling with things, you don't have to beat yourself up. You just say, okay, let me step back. Let me examine my spiritual disciplines. If I've done all these things, I'm doing them well. Man, I just have no room for growth in my spiritual disciplines. We're voting on you for pastor this weekend. I have no room for growth, but then I need to go see someone because I need to talk to someone because there might be something else. But chances are that if you're feeling these emotions and the fruit is not operating in your life, it might be because somewhere something's out of whack. How about taking a Sabbath? For me, if you call my phone tomorrow, you will hear my voicemail will say, you've reached the voicemail of Pastor Gary Darnbach. It's Thursday, this date, to be with my family. It's my day off to be with my family. If you need anything, leave me a voicemail and I'll call you back first thing in the morning. Now I do occasionally check if there's a voicemail, there's an emergency. I absolutely am on call for you. But one day a week... I change my voicemail, and I spend time with my family. And it's not just because my kids and my wife need me. It's because I need it. I shared a post today that you can't pour out from an empty cup. So we all need that. There has to be a day or at least an evening where you take time with the family. Don't discuss stress. Don't discuss all the bills that are due. There has to be a disconnect, a Sabbath. That's a healthy spiritual discipline. Principles for life, practical teaching here. I'm excited, even if you're not. But before we can ever attain true peace in other areas of our life, we must first be at peace with God. It's not God's will for his people to live in turmoil. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. We grab holiness and we go, holiness is what we long for. We serve a holy God. All right, it says follow peace too. Long-suffering. When we speak of long-suffering, we're actually referring to patience. The Bible gives several different definitions of patience. Reasons why patience is hard to develop. First of all, patience is contrary to our culture. We live in a fast pace. I want it now society. Drive-through food, instant coffee, drive-through pharmacies, instant credit and financing. I just read a book on the TED Talks. Anyone ever heard of TED Talks? TED Talks, they said that the ideal time, now other countries is different, ideal amount of time in the United States of America for a TED Talk is 18 minutes. And so all public speakers should be going 18 minutes. Don't even get your hopes up. <laughs> if I started going 18 minutes, y'all be like, how much do we pay you? My Lord, you ain't earning your paycheck. I can't even tell my wife good night in 18 minutes, all right? Daily, we feel the pressure, though, in the home, in the morning, on the freeway, at the job, this deadline, that deadline, back on the freeway, rush through dinner, hurry to church, social activities, fall exhausted into bed, and get up and do it all over again. And we wonder why we're depressed and frustrated. 
When pastor says we just need to take an hour of prayer in the morning, we're stressed because we're like, I don't even know where I'm going to get the hour. Folks, it might be time to step back and say, okay, what am I doing here? What's my priority? We must be accepting who we are while striving to improve. And that's another thing that you got to find the balance. Because I never just want to kick back and be like, God loves me for who I am. Well, you're just vegging out, not even growing with God. It's all right, me and him have an understanding. But then also not like, man, I messed up again. I don't know if I can do this. I wasn't cut out for this. I'm never going to grow with God. I'm never going to be the person God wants me to be. There's like this healthy thing called balance. Of like, therefore, there's no condemnation. But yet, I'm also not going to kick back and be lazy. It's great to have a family night. But we don't need to pass in every Bible study and small group because we have five family nights. See what I'm saying here? Good, healthy balance. So we got to be patient with self, others, God. Gentleness. Gentleness is actually defined by several other words, such as benevolence, kindness. Because I know most guys are like, dude, don't call me gentle. Like, I got the fruit of the Spirit, everything but gentleness. No, the most accurate definition relating to the fruit of the Spirit is excellent in character or demeanor. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. I'll say that again. That's a great tweet. Your life as a Christian should not, I'm sorry, now I'm messing it up. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. The opposite of gentleness might be what we discussed earlier, pride. Goodness. Goodness have often been linked with the word kindness. When we dig deeper to Galatians 5.22, the definition of goodness, we find something deeper. It's, here it means to be morally pure, pleasing to God and others. There's two components of this goodness. Moral goodness, this is living after the law of God and his principles. This is a godly control of our morals and lifestyles. It'd be, it'd be ludicrous to claim to be filled with the Holy Ghost and to have corrupt morals and lifestyle. It's interesting to note that before listing the fruit of the Spirit, Paul lists the work of the flesh. Flesh, Spirit. And it's interesting, too, if you ever need marriage counseling, read Galatians 5, because you, you will find that the issues in your marriage are found in the works of the flesh. And the issues that you're wanting in your marriage are found in the works of the Spirit. I just don't feel like he loves me. And what do you mean loves me? She's not even gentle. She's, she's mean. Oh, yeah? Well, you have no self-control. <laughs> I feel like you need more of the spirit. <laughs> Seriously, when you begin to look in the complaints spouses have, read the list of the works of the flesh and read the list of the works of the spirit. And you will find, yeah, we can go more in-depth counseling. But what it comes down to, you need less of the flesh and more of the spirit. Truthfully. So goodness includes what we might call morality, morals, but there's also practical goodness. Practical goodness is when we apply those godly morals and lifestyles in our dealings with other people. Many people profess to have good morals but live a lifestyle that's exactly opposite. What you really are inside will manifest itself outwardly. Goodness speaks of virtue and having integrity of character. You can only go so far in life on talent. Integrity is what will carry you to another level. And integrity is something 
you cannot teach. You're either going to develop that and have that and cling to that, or you won't. Faithfulness. Faith is not faithfulness. I'll say that again. Faith is not faithfulness. Some mistakenly suppose that because I have faith, that I'm automatically faithful. No. Remember, each aspect of the fruit is intertwined with one another. They rely on one another. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and all of the preceding aspects have very little value. If I have love and I have joy and I have peace and I have long-suffering, but I'm just not faithful, what good is any of it? Think about it. I'm talking about being married. If you're married, how important is faithfulness to you? Would you be fine? I mean, like, hey, if your spouse was like, hey, take it easy. I'm faithful 99% of the time. Okay. That's good. No, it's not. I mean, how many of you would be content with your spouse being faithful 99% of the time? Those are good numbers. Not good enough for me. Specifically, then, we see Paul is speaking of an individual's faithfulness in every area of his or her spiritual life. Faithful in prayer, the word, church attendance, tithes and offerings, ministry service, witnessing and outreach faithful in all things. Meekness. Meekness is in, in its true definition. And, and I'm sorry if, if you're bored with this, but this is so important. This is the internal holiness. This is, before we go into all these other specifics and all these other external things, they don't mean much. If someone says, man, they look holy, but have you ever talked to them? Man, they, they look like such a godly man or woman but my word they are bitter i don't want to be a part of that meekness is in its true definition doesn't mean weakness it's strength under control it's an understanding that we are totally dependent on him for our existence and our sustenance it also encompasses our willingness to submit to his will anybody here have a human will all right so me and four other people have strong wills. I'll see how strong of a will. I'll, I'll try and tell you what to do sometime. We'll find out how strong your will. No, I'm just kidding. But it encompasses our willing to submit to his will because we all have this will, but yet are we willing to put it down to say, God, whatever your will is. Not my will, but thy will be done. Temperance. We obtain a correct definition. I believe this is it. From the usage in Galatians 5.23, the Greek word, engratia, is used and defined as self-control, temperance. Further study of the word means not only self-control, but to be strong or masterful in self-control. I don't know about you. I've grown, but I would not stand and say, folks, I am masterful at self-control. Hey, don't laugh that loud. It makes me look horrible. <laughs> Where was I when she was speaking last week? <laughs> this definition should not surprise us as God requires our very best in all that we do. We're commanded to do everything heartily, wholeheartedly is unto the Lord. That's ministry too. I mean, if you're in a ministry and you're not really in it, you know what? Step away. 
I don't want to lose people out of ministry, but you know what? God's called us to do everything with all of our heart is unto the Lord. The word temperance as used by Paul and Peter was understood by the Greeks of that day to mean holding the passions and desires in control. That, 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 that covers a lot of ground. Self-control consists of the right use of the will. In the case of the Christian, it means the right use of the will will be controlling the, under the controlling power of the Holy Ghost. Aristotle once said, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies. For the hardest victory is the victory over self. To manifest love, joy, peace, etc. without control would be spiritual confusion. Self-control is a battle of flesh and spirit. And since we're referring to the fruit of the spirit, we must realize no one can exercise proper self-control without the help of the spirit. That's why it's called the fruit of the spirit. Without the help of the spirit, we're going to utterly fall at this self-discipline. And here is possibly the biggest reason why we need it. Self-control will enable us to live in this world without being conformed to it. This is going to tie us into the next few weeks of external stuff. Because you know what? The things we will talk about are countercultural. And if I'm going to live and submit it to God's plan and say, you know what? I'm willing to worship you from the inside to the outside. There's some things that I say, you know what? I need self-control. I need meekness, goodness. I need to be willing to submit to his will and say, you know what? I have the strength to live in this world, but not be conformed by it. A self-controlled life begins in the mind. And this is so critical because so much of what we covered and will cover, again, goes, it's counter-cultural, but we're going to find, hey, am I here to please God or man, humankind? I take such a big chunk of tonight's lesson, and I, and I end here to now, to focus on the fruit of the Spirit because this is the fruit. This is the evidence that, hey, yeah, I got the spirit, but I'm still growing. There's still the fruit of his spirit operating in my life. And I pray that people never cease to see that. See, guard your heart. The Bible says out of it flows the issues of life. Protect your mind for what you find yourselves becoming. You'll find yourself becoming what you think. And you can only fake holiness so long. Eventually, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is inside will eventually come out. That's why you see people, they live that way so long, and they dress that way so long, and they worship that way so long. Where did that come from? It came from what was in their heart. It came from what was in their heart. And Brother Foster posted a great post yesterday, and I close with this as we stand. Think about this. When God first gave Moses instructions to build the Old Testament tabernacle, he gave him details from the most Inward part. Where did he start? Right? The holy of holies. And he started and worked his way out from there. 
God put his spirit inside you, and he wants to change some things. He wants you to have that internal holiness. And it's going to manifest itself on the outside. But just we got to check our spirit, who we are. The other stuff's important. We're going to discuss it. But who am I? She talked about the doctrine of separation. Separation's not just clothing. There should be something different about me and the rest of the world in my joy, my peace, my love, my goodness, my self-control. Jesus, Father, we close this message, Lord God, in Father, there's no human being that has just fully reached the point of being perfectly internally holy. When we study the fruit of your spirit, we talk about the dangers of gossip, pride, and unforgiveness. These are things that touch us on a regular basis. Lord God, we're tempted constantly to let go of things of the fruit of the Spirit. We're, 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 we're challenged constantly about things that are just a cancer and a danger to the church and to ourselves. When we get touched with offense and bitterness and anger and pride touches our lives, Lord Jesus. And people begin to talk and whisper and gossip, Lord God. These are things that, Father, we want to protect ourselves first and foremost. And secondly, the culture of your church, God. We want this to be a safe place, a place, Lord, where we can bear one another's burdens, where there's not repercussions to bearing one another's burdens, Lord Jesus, but that the result, the only result, is that we're a unified, knit together body of believers, where there's safety, and Lord Jesus, where iron sharpens iron for us to be sharper and better, Lord God. And so I pray, Jesus, help every single one of us, Lord God, to, to, to aim to have the fruit operating in, in our lives, to have your spirit, Lord, operating and developing this fruit in our lives, oh Jesus. Father, we pray these things in the wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.